Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 34. Our special guest is Trip Hansen. Welcome, Trip Hansen, to Broadway's Backbone. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Brad. I'm really happy to be here with you. So uh, today's episode is going to be in two parts because you've had two acts in your life. So so far, so far, you might have three. I'm going to be a four act. Four I'm act. I'm going to do a four act. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what my first act is right now. <laughs> so your first act as a performer, you were on Broadway in Crazy For You, Kiss Me Kate, Boys From Syracuse, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Drowsy Chaperone, Tommy Toon's Act, and were a member of the Manhattan Rhythm Club. Kings. Manhattan Rhythm, Rhythm Kings. Kings. Happened all the time. <laughs> your act two, you are currently uh, an acupuncturist and owner of the Amazing Clinic healing perspectives correct which we are sitting in right now right in a treatment room. in a treatment room don't tell anyone I won't. <laughs> so uh, where are you from and how did you get started mm, originally where am I from yes wow okay let's go back to the beginning uh, Wilmington North Carolina is where I was born oh and I even though I moved from there when I was three my parents got transferred we moved to Jacksonville Florida I still feel like Wilmington is my home base like it feels like I'm from there and I, but I, Jacksonville was the longer part of my growing up, but I don't, it, uh, how do I say in a nice way, I never really connected with the culture in Jacksonville. Very Southern Baptist, very, very conservative. Not that North Carolina isn't, but they're, <laughs> they put a little more genteel spin on it. <laughs> so um, that's where, I, that's how I grew up. And then I moved to, I got my first professional performing job, I don't think you mentioned this on my resume, uh -oh. was as an all-American college singer and dancer at Disneyland out in California. Oh, California? In 1970. That's great. The, the original Disneyland. Disney, the real one. Yes, I agree. I'm, I'm from San Diego. It's, I know, that's I'm the from real... Florida, so oh. I'm supposed to say Disney World is okay, but really, going when you, when you go to Disneyland and you see the original thing, you go, oh, this is... This is where it started, and you can feel it. It's oh, different. I, yeah, I, it's I different. agree. You know, I wanted to be Pete's Dragon in the Electrical Light Parade. It was so great. I got to be in the nighttime parade on a float. That is great. Come on. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. So that's that's how I got out of Jacksonville, Florida, and um, I never, I, frankly, I never went back. Never went back. Never went back. I spent three years in California. Realized I was probably not your TV and film person. <laughs> Although there were fantasies, but I, you know, every casting director out there who saw me would say, "You you need to go to New York. You're a stage performer. You need to be in New York." But I was terrified of New York. Terrified. I was like, "What? You know, the mean streets of New York City." I didn't know what would happen to a poor little Southern belle like me. <laughs> so I, um, but one time I was here on vacation. Do you want me to keep going with this part of the story? <clears throat> yes, I was absolutely. Here. You said, where am I from? Suddenly, no, I this, is more, this is what's interesting. Well, so I came here on vacation to visit some friends of mine from college because I went to a college in Florida, Jacksonville University, and they were all living here. And I, I came on vacation and uh, I got here. My friend Susan Norfleet, who turned out to be this amazing stand-up comedian and actress, um, 
but at the time, you know, we were just all limping along, struggling along. She was like, there's this audition I think you should go to. Hal Prince is doing a new show at Stephen Sondheim's. They're auditioning for it today. This, I had just gotten in like the day before and she was like, you should go. And I was like, what's it, what's it, uh, what's it called? And she was like, it's um, merrily we roll along and they're looking for like young people who can sort of play older people or something. So I was like, all right, I'll go. And so I got up, you know, seven in the morning and I trotted down there with my headshot and my book. And I got to the Minskoff. Remember the Minskoff? Yes. Those rehearsal studios. Well, there was a line of high school kids, I'm sure all from performing arts, down onto the street, down Broadway, down to 44th, 40th, 43rd. I mean, humongous line. And I was like, oh my God. And it was early. I thought it was early. Yeah. In LA, if you went to an audition and got there on time, you were early. <laughs> here in New York if you're not like a few hours ahead of time you know so I got in line and I think I was number 400 and blah blah oh my gosh you know something so you know the monitor but these were the old days you know it wasn't yeah. quite as tightly regulated as it is now so the monitor would come out and go like okay if you know if you're after this number come back in two hours so I went and took a class at Alvin Ailey which was right there ah, in the men's call center yes. so I went and took a little dance class. Fortunately, I packed my backpack with, you know, supplies. So I happened to have my stirrup tights in there. <laughs> so I went, to, I, went, I went and took a class with Alvin Ailey, and then I came back, and he was like, if you're after number so-and-so, come back in two more hours. And so, after lunch. So I went across the street on 42nd Street and saw a movie. I don't remember what. I wasn't used to it. That was an experience. You know, remember the hooting and hollering in the movie theaters yes. back then. You're too young. You don't remember that. I remember people used to throw stuff throw at the stuff. screen. Yeah, yeah. No, it was loud. Yes. Like a lot of talking. Yeah, so I did that. Came back. Now it's, we're getting on past lunch. You know, it's like now three, four o'clock in the afternoon. And I have spent my whole day of vacation <laughs> waiting to get in to be seen for this show. So I, okay. So I say that things were not as tightly regulated Right. Mm -hmm. I suppose the monitor had maybe had to go to the bathroom and a bunch of people might have gotten discouraged by this point so I found out that they were on like 150 that's it? yeah so I looked down on the monitor's table he just had this little tiny table sitting there uh, outside the room and I looked down and I saw the index card you know we used to get index cards you would write your resume on the back of mm -hmm. I, used to, I saw an index card that said like 173 and I just quietly picked it up and went over and sat next to the wall. And he came Man. back. I know. I was a renegade. I was a rebel. I would not be stopped. So it was my vacation. I know. I'm not going to waste my time. So I got the card. I went over to, um, sat down quietly. He came out, came back from wherever he had been. He's like, you know, okay, 150 to 175, line up. I raised my hand very quietly, you know, very, got in line, very politely please don't notice me I hope this card isn't you know wrong or something so I sat there went in went in sang my song for the casting folks uh, for, for Hal Prince I cannot remember her name right now she was so nice what that what I remember is that she was so nice so kind it was a really kind table mm. They all watched me. They all smiled. You know, I, thought, I was like, they've been here all day. And they were still very gracious. I finished my song. And she said, hang on just one second. She said, would you come over in here and sign a release? 
Sure. She said, we're, we're, we're filming some of the auditions for a documentary. And we'd like to, we might want to include yours. And I was like, okay. And she said, so would you do the song one more time? Just like you did it. So I did. And I left. And I was like, I signed a release. Wow. I, I something's happening here. I feel good. And I was like, New York's not so scary. So I went home, had the rest of my vacation, flew back to L.A., whatever, right? That was probably in September, maybe late August. October 20, my birthday, I woke up in the morning to a, my phone ringing at 7 a.m. It was a woman named Beverly from the casting office saying, Hi, Trip. you know, we, you've got a call back for Merrily We Roll Along. And she said, are you in L.A.? And I said, yeah, I live out here. And she said, okay, no problem. Mr. Prince will see you when he comes to the Schubert to audition in a few weeks. I'll call you to set up a time. Happy birthday to me. Yes. All of that came to pass. All of that came to pass. I went to the Schubert Theater. I actually saw Lonnie Ackerman in the hallway because she was there doing a Vita. I about passed out. I was like, I am arriving. This is happening. Yes. I went out and sang for Mr. Prince. I had a very good audition. He had me read some sides. I probably was terrible. I had, didn't really wasn't much of an actor back then. Time passed. I got another call from the casting office saying, final callbacks are tomorrow. Is there any way that you could get here? And I said, are they in, they're in New York? And she, yeah. I was already signed to do this industrial for Disney. Um, I was like, I can't come. Oh. Yeah, of course, I know what I said. You know what I asked her. Well, if I came with a guarantee that I get a place in the show, <laughs> I need some. I need some proof. I need evidence. Uh, she's like, no, no, no. These would just be the final callbacks. And I was like, she said, but a decision will probably be made from these. Mm. I said, there's not another time that he's going to come back out. Yeah, I didn't oh, understand. Yeah. So I just was asking all. She's like, no, honey, I'm afraid this is it. You know, if you can get here, great. You're, we'd love to have you. And I just had to say, that's it. I can't. Yeah. I can't. It's that's done. But in a weird way, it wasn't a problem for me. I was like, I got a final callback from my first New York City audition. To me, that was like, I won. I'm in. Yes. I'm going. This was October, January. 20th, I packed up my little Datsun B210 with everything <laughs> that I, I'm really dating myself here, that everything I needed, well, I dated myself by telling you it was the original company of Merrily We Roll Along. So <laughs> I'm old. So that was it. I, I packed up my things. I drove through the worst snowstorm in, you know, the Northeast history to come to New York. And I got here in January, the very end of January, 1981. Been here ever since. Wow, so you must love it. Hmm, isn't that the question? Yes. Yeah. People say if you don't love it, you would leave. You I would, don't know who these people are, but. Well, they're wrong. Mm. Because I have a real love-hate with New York. Mm. Um, and what I love are the people mm. and yes. the consciousness and the fact that nobody in New York is wrong. 
there's a place for you in New York City. Yes. No matter how extreme you are, no matter how far out you want to get, you can find a tribe. And I found my tribe early on with, you know, with the theater community. And it did feel like home, <laughs> just a really dysfunctional home. Yes. And I still, um, to this day, I, I have this struggle with New York. And that's why I now I live as I live. I live upstate with my husband, and I, I, I don't live in the city anymore. And I come into the city to work, and I manage my schedule in a way that my particular neurosystem feels healthy with. You know, as I've, as I've gotten older, it's been more important to me to feel well and not just drive, 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 push, push, push. Oh, I, Which is I, how I spent my 20s and 30s. You and have to. 40s. You know. I'm, I'm only now learning to listen to my body. Right. I used to tell my body to shut up. <laughs> shut up and sit down. Get and, in the back, mister. Yes, and now I'm like, oh, You're wow. either hurting or you're helping. Yes. Get on board. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. That's. It's such a drive in this city. Every, you know, I used to travel a lot with the Manhattan Rhythm Kings. We were always on the road doing concert work, and I would always find myself coming back into the city, you know, from the airport in a car service. And as we came through the east side, I'd be like, I would feel it. I'd see all the people rushing. And it would be like, oh, God, here we go again. Mm -hmm. I got to get back on this ride. And my mind would start like, oh, this, okay, now I know what I need to do now. And I've got to, oh, I got to call this person. I never, I never did follow up on the, the litany of punch list things that are never done. Never done. Would kick in. And that was and before I just emails feel, and text, and oh now my, it's even worse. Oh my god, it never stops now. Never stops. So in a weird way, you don't leave town and come back to it, because you're just always in it, yeah. right? But there are ways, you know, to manage, and I've learned to pay attention to that. Because my body basically told me I had to. You know, I, even, you know, when I was in acupuncture school, I developed this very serious Bell's palsy, which, you know, I still have the effects of today that I, I realize how deficient I let my body get, how uh, traumatized in a way my nervous system was. I don't think all from New York. I think, you know, you don't need to know my, the, the no, personal but, life. But, but school and, and, school, and, and, and life and divorce life and, and Broadway yeah, and, and changing like, relationships and, and an unstable uh career path that you can never predict and never and, and it, it for me personally my own personal and this is the thing we're all yeah. unique we're all bio individual right we're not we're not cut out of a stamp so you can't say for what's thrive what one person thrives in another one will as mm -hmm. well you know what your your success might feel like my injury you know so i had to learn to honor that and that's been this process of the last maybe 10, 15 years of my life. Which I mean, that's where I've gotten to know you more in yes. this act than even though I knew you in your first act. So it's yes. fun. But I want yes, to ask you about the, oh, sorry, the Manhattan yeah. Rhythm Kings. Kings, yes. Because I know now that they're a performing group and they're, mm -hmm. and they're a, a team. But I think a lot of people think it was created for Crazy for You. Right, right. That was our first big splash in a large setting in New York City. But the, the group existed. Was we were street performers. Well, we. I say we. That's the familial we. But the group began as street performers in the late 70s. Oh. Opening that suitcase in front of Lincoln Center at the end of theater time and tap dancing on a piece of plywood. And the three of them played guitars and bass and... 
you know, they sort of found their way through um, a couple of cast changes <laughs> in the trio. <laughs> the, so by 19, when I joined the group in 1985, they had been in existence now for six, seven years. Oh, really? Yeah. Brian Malefka, who lives in New Jersey, and had, he was like the founding member that still existed. Hal Shane, who joined maybe a year or two after that, they were really the core of it. And then, unfortunately, Michael Reeder, who was incredibly talented, really gifted performer. Um, and how I got to know the group was I saw them at a street fair, Third Avenue Street Festival. They used to perform for the Daily News booth. They were, they were the entertainment. And I was there with a friend one day, and we were talking, walking down the street and talking, and I... I just heard this, first of all, I heard the sound and it was those tight vocal harmonies and it's just a passion of mine. And then the short guy in the middle started tap dancing. I'm like, what? And I stopped, <laughs> I just stopped and my friend kind of was like, you know, I'm going to keep walking. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll catch up. And I, I watched this guy and I was like, that's what I want to do. I could do that. He played the piano and then he jumped up and sang, had a tenor voice and then he would tap dance for a second. And I was like, that's me. That is, I could do that. And I kept, I kept bringing my friends. I was like, come back and listen to this group. Fast forward about a year, Susan Stroman, who has been a dear friend of mine since my second professional job in New York City at Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park, where we did Peter Pan together. Really? Yes, she was Tiger Lily, a dynamic Tiger Lily, I might add. And I was Checo the Pirate. <laughs> <laughs> meanest of the mean <laughs> the, the smallest white boy in New York City playing Checo the Pirate anyway um, so we had been we had been friends all along and at that point she called me and said do you have you ever heard of the Manhattan Rhythm Kings I was like oh yeah I love them she goes do you want to audition for them I was like what yes yes I do yes I do so, Megan can you yes whatever she called me back and said I'm this guy Hal Shane is gonna call you I said great and fast forward I joined the group that year and started learning their reams of material so truth is I do have a little experience on the street with them yes because while they were teaching me material we actually left New York and went out we had a friend Hal had a friend out in Venice Beach California we, he had an, an extra apartment. He managed this apartment building. We stayed in his apartment. And we would go out onto the Venice Beach Boardwalk and I would practice. I would get my chops together. And um, that's how I learned the act. Meanwhile, Tommy Toon is doing my one and only at the Amundsen out in L.A. He already knows about the Rhythm Kings. They've already performed together as the group that they were before me. Oh. But he was out there. We were out there. So it was an opportunity for us to get together at the Amundsen between shows and start rehearsing this act that we were going to do the following New Year's. So that's how I first began to work with Tommy. That's how I joined the Rhythm Kings and how my future was created at that point. I love that, especially because it came out of, it led to your Broadway debut and it wasn't from an audition that you waited in line yeah, for. Exactly. It was from you doing your passion as a street performer because... Just the music. Yeah, it you was wanted just, to do I it. I just love the sound. That's all I've ever cared about is just like 
doing something with people that I love doing. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't, I didn't have to be in a Broadway show, although I certainly wanted to be. Right. But as long as I was singing and getting to perform and, and doing stuff that was fun and felt good and I was making enough money to survive, right. I, I was happy. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, that's where I am now and I wish, because that I'm finding that passion now that it doesn't have to be zillions of dollars to make me happy. That's right. It has to be enough of me doing my craft and to get by. That comes later. <laughs> and that comes later. But that yeah. is what led you to Crazy For You. Absolutely. Well, again, who choreographed Crazy For You? Susan Stroman. The amazing Susan Stroman, who's been like this angel in my life. She just kept reappearing, going, we were talking on the phone one day and she was like, would you guys, you know, would you think that the group would consider auditioning for Crazy For You? Would something like that be interesting? I was like, are you kidding me? Yes. Same. Yes. Yes. Sign you us up. Make it happen. Yes. yes. Wait, you answered for the group? I'm joking. I did. <laughs> I was like, I don't care if they want to. I want to. And that, of course they wanted to. Yes. And so we had a great audition. Mike Ockrent. God, love him. Mm -hmm. That amazing man. I miss him. He's He is missed in this community. And Susan Stroman was, you know, my friend was out there cheering us on and we finished our audition. He threw the papers in the air and came up and it was like applauding. And he was like, great, we want you to come back. We're going to have you do some scenes from the script. We want to see if you can do theater as well as music. So, of course, you know, being the, this was my opportunity. You know, these guys had really come from the music world. Although Hal Shane had done Broadway shows, he was in there playing our song. Oh. And he was in Very Good Eddie. And so he had a theater background as well, but he had done a lot of concert work. And at this point, with the Rhythm Kings, was doing mostly music. So I felt it was my job to bring us into the theater, to transition the trio from this, you know, our street slash cabaret slash nightclub persona into a little baby acting troupe that could come in and bring character and storytelling and song all woven together. So I helped us put together, you know, I kind of took the script and cut it up and said, okay, you're going to say this line, you'll do this line. And then when we do this line, Hal, you start playing the guitar and then, you know, I'll look at you and I'll look at Brian and then Brian will start playing the bass and then I'll go behind the garbage can and pick up a cymbal and start playing a rhythm. And then we're going to do a slow country version of I got rhythm, I got... And that's how we did our callback in full costume. We went and rented a costume. We showed up as this cowboy trio. And oh, when, wow. And when they were there, when they were at our callback, we were in the theater. And so I, I just popped my head up and I said, can we just have 10 minutes? And they saw that I had on a costume. I think they were like, let's just see what's going to happen. I said, can we just do 10 minutes uninterrupted? And they were like, go for it. And so we did a Biden My Time stroll on with Brian. With his, he, we put the wheel on his base. And so we strolled out doing I'm Biden My Time because that's the kind of guy I'm. So we, and then we interrupted that. We did a little scene with us doing all the parts. And then we did a sort of a, at the time, Will Rogers Follies was playing. And so we did like a takeoff on their touch your hat, you know, that number. Oh, the, yes. What was that number? Willamania? Yes. With the hand choreography. <laughs> the hand, yes. We did like a real bad cowboy country version of that in the middle of our song and got a big laugh out of Stroman. So we finished that and by that, 
night we had gotten a phone call saying you're going to be in the show we want you in the show that is a great story talk about being prepared for your callback well by this time in my life it wasn't enough to just let things on you know when you're there's this really I, th I think there's this really fine line between wanting to let life just occur you know mm -hmm. we're not in charge anyway no as much as we want to be in control and especially in theater we're we're just <laughs> we're just the court yeah. jesters hoping for an opportunity to please the king yes right so we even just get have, in the room with the king yeah, just be asked <laughs> just to be invited so but by this time you know I, you see that the people who are really working at it and really developing skills and learning to apply those skills in a spontaneous way like do your work but then show up and don't do the work now just show up and give them what you give them right let it happen let it unfold in front of you so that's what you know we were learning this i had learned this by then and you know the group we were we were all for it. you know we were just all on the same page as a trio we were like let's make this happen let's do this and oddly enough we went to i think it was st louis right after this callback for a concert and with an orchestra and the orchestra the st louis orchestra played um a gershwin medley as their opening and we were like this is gonna happen we just it was like a sign to yes. us like not that other orchestras had not played Gershwin openings when we performed with them, but <laughs> this one in particular, I think it was even Girl Crazy, which is where Crazy For You came from. Oh. So we were like, oh, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. We were like in the groove. You could, the, the universe was vibrating. Oh, that's, and how long did you stay with the show? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Something like 850 performances. Oh, wonderful. That's one of those dream shows that is still on my bucket list. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's... It is such a pleasure to do and you know that but also just to be a part of that that was Stroman's big yep. entree to the Broadway community not that people didn't know who she was but that was her first Tony Award yeah solidified her as legendary yeah yeah, yeah. Right. and we got to perform at the Kennedy Center honors for Ginger Rogers when she got her Kennedy Center honor Wow and she came up and saw the show after that. So it was a huge deal. The first year of that was just nonstop, like receiving love. Mm. And it was, it was mind bending and life altering, you know, to be in the presence. If you've ever, you know, whenever you do, especially for me, my first show was like this big hit like this. It was like, I almost didn't know what to do with it. Oh, it's so much it's energy shocking. coming to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a joy. Yeah pleasure yeah another legend you worked with is Tommy Toon and you did you tour with him and all you did his world. act all over the world all over the world we went to Russia we were we've been to Hong Kong Australia uh, all every all over the United States Canada Hawaii you know everywhere that's that is great I mean I'm a huge fan of his I've only met him a couple times personally socially and he's he's really sweet and a joy and it's just a giant <laughs> literally and figuratively yeah he is a giant creatively you know i i also feel like he's really his voice is really missing in the broadway community right now i think mm -hmm. i you know i know trends change and so forth and so on and you know we like to build people up and then pull them out when we're ready but yeah tommy is a tommy is a creative force he's but you know it's allowed him to go on to his next act and create art and all kinds of beautiful stuff and um, but 
he is he is truly my um, my theater hero, my musical theater hero. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I got to spend such interesting, uh, intimate times in collaboration with him. You know. Um, creating the act Tommy wouldn't create the act and say okay here's what you're gonna do here's what you're gonna do he'd be like try something here and then, and then when you would try something you'd go like mm, make it better but it was like okay let me think of what else yeah what else? you know so it was like you were included it wasn't like and it but it wasn't like oh that's cute that'll be good for you it was like no no we need more than that yeah okay what else can I do and he would really challenge you to rise and create with him. Come to the table with something in your pocket. You know, don't just show up empty-handed, going, "What do you want me to be?" He'd say, "Show you know, show me." And that's real collaboration. And that's when you can see the show evolve into something that's worth watching. Yeah, yeah. And and when the show happens, you're so in it. Yeah, it's come out of you. You know, as part of the group. So he. Yeah, he was such a gift to me. Mm. You know, I didn't come from theater. I didn't come from a theater background. I, I mean, I when I got to college in Florida, I was a music major. I played piano. I was in college on a piano scholarship. Yeah. Oh. And then I had to play for singers, as part of my scholarship. You know, price tag. <laughs> so I was playing these voice lessons, going, "Well, they're not very good. I could sing better than that." Yeah. So then I would said I'm gonna sign up for voice lessons and then I became a vocal piano major double major and then I got sick of that I got tired of I really got tired of the isolation of being a piano major like being mm. in a practice room for six seven hours a day oh I couldn't imagine and I was while I was leaving the theater one day and I saw an audition for what I didn't realize at the time was an opera a mall in the night visitors the Christmas opera by Minotti and I um, I was like, well, maybe I'll go sing. I'll go see what's happening over there. You know, small university. So I kind of peeked my head in the theater and a few people were sitting in seats and somebody was up auditioning. So I walked in, you know, sat in the back and then, you know, they kind of turn around and it was like, anybody else? And I was like, can I audition? And <laughs> yeah, this is all part of Tripp's method. I didn't, I often didn't play by the rules. I would sort of observe and then I would kind of move in as I got comfortable, like I did with that card back yeah. then. Merrily we roll along. I didn't get really ballsy till later. But it's nice. I mean, it's pretty brave, though, all of this, to be trying new things and audition for mm -hmm. an opera. And I mean, that's... Oh, I got the opera by now. Oh, you did? Yeah, just so you know. Oh, well, no. To be good, clear. Good to know. <laughs> so with Tommy, there was so much collaboration. Yeah. But then your next, uh, with Kiss Me Kate, you were completely thrown into that oh, show. Oh, my goodness. So that oh, was not collaborating. Goodness. That's like, do this and learn it fast. Yeah, this was, they had begun previews already. They were in previews. I had no rehearsal time with the company. I showed up, they, I auditioned, they called me before I was home to say, you got the, can you come see the show tonight? I turned around, went back to the theater to see the show. I was thrilled, I, I love that show so much. And I mean, come on, Marin Maisie, Brian oh. Stokes Mitchell. Yeah. That was a that was a match made in heaven that we hadn't seen six rag time. Mm -hmm. They were phenomenal, um, and I was just so excited to be there. And so I, you know, was thrilled. But they the the dance captain 
the person who's going to teach the new swing. I came in as a swing because somebody was already injured and the swing was on. There was nobody in the dressing room ready to take over if somebody else got hurt or got sick. Yikes. So, (laughs) God lover, Harold Lee Meadows taught me. We had maybe three hours in a rehearsal studio where she was like, I'm going to teach you vocabulary. You know what that means. Yeah. The dance steps, but none of the patterns, none of like, oh, well, this one does it this way, but then this one has to do this change that way at this time with that girl. So she taught me vocabulary, and then I had to stand up in the back of a very packed, humongously, like to the top row packed theater, because it was a hit from the get-go. Yeah. I stood up in the back of the, what was then the Martin Beck, now the Al Hirschfeld Mm -hmm. Theater, to the left and then I have to grab oh shoot no the other group <laughs> trying to get my own notes trying to do oh it from gosh. you know a hundred yards away upside down and backwards like Ginger Rogers with Fred Astaire yes <laughs> so I it was a it was quite the learning process and I had very little hands-on time on the stage and of course the first thing that happens is somebody gets the flu well, of course in the middle of the first act. So the first time I'm on, I'm opening the second act. Too darn hot. In Too Darn Hot, which has all those crazy variations Mm -hmm. in it. So the only thing I got to rehearse was the little dance. We had this little uh, foxtrot circle for a minute. And then I got to practice the scramble right before the finish, where it was like, work out the traffic. Not only that, I just set the tempo for the song because the drummer, I played this guy who was the drummer and we come out and it's intermission from the show, show, within the show. And I come out and I hop up on this box and it's a hot night. Meanwhile, my heart is going like, (laughs) I could hardly hear myself think I was so nervous because I'd never been on the stage except for that 15 minute intermission window to do all those things. Oh, goodness. Okay. So, and certainly not on the set. Yeah. So I have to come out and have to beat a tattoo on the side of this box. I was just like, don't do it too fast. Do not just, and then I had to whistle the beginning of the song. My lips were so dry, it was like. (laughs) Just everything in me was pumping so hard. Paul Gemignani in the pit was just like shake, scratching his forehead and shaking his head, <laughs> like crossing his fingers. And I like looked at him. We had done Crazy View together. So he knew, he knew me well enough to know that I was like, Freaking hang out. on. Yes. I did it. I got through the number and <laughs> didn't kill anybody in the way. You know, the swing's motto is shove with love. Shove with love. So... My cast was exemplary. They really helped me. They grabbed me, dragged me, pushed me, pulled me, and we got through it. Oh. And I was with that show for the entire run. Oh, you were. And I did. I did every part. I did every part. I I did had to play one of the suitors. I was you know sort of second swing for the dance tracks, but I had to play one of the suitors one night. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was the only suitor that ever got a laugh. Oh. I somehow I was funny doing the dance. I didn't mean to be. I was trying to be sexy. 
<laughs> story of my life. <laughs> oh, well, well, it's, but it's good to get laughs. I was embarrassed, but I just kept going. I didn't know. I didn't know. Why, yeah. I didn't know why they were laughing. I was yeah. just like, I guess I'm funny. Yeah. So I'll just keep you doing what funny. I'm doing. You are funny. Yeah. The last show in this act of your life was Drowsy Chaperone. Yes. And people love this show. I mean, everyone I know who's who's in it, they just like takes their breath away. Was this experience for you a darling like that for just like it was for everyone else? That's an interesting story. You know that show was created in my living room. I didn't, I know it was created in your life, but I didn't know in your living room. Pretty much. Several parts of it, let me say. Right. Um, so that show was bittersweet for me, personally. Mm -hmm. I loved the show for what it was as a Valentine, this pastiche, this ode to musical theater. And I, Casey Nicola was the exact right person to put that show together. Yes. But, you know, we had been in a long-term relationship and that relationship was ending as Drowsy Chaperone was coming into being. So we ended amicably. You know, it wasn't a bitter parting, but it was bittersweet because changes, transitions like that in life always are. Right? Yes. We knew each other so well. We had been through so much together, 15 years of growing up together. And so it was, it was um, everything about the show represented what I was, what was changing in my life, you know, like sort of moving away from, I, I had just graduated from acupuncture school when I went into the show. Oh, so you'd already graduated. I just finished. And that's why Casey actually encouraged them to put me in the show because he was like, you know, I was like, I need to earn some money because I'm now I'm starting this acupuncture practice. I don't have any clients yet. I need to. And he was like, well, I think there's a track opening. Do you want to audition? So I did. And they put me in and um, so it had, it just had a lot of mixed feelings for me. Do I love the show with all my heart? Mm. Did I love my experience with the show? Not so much. Mm. It was a hard one for me. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. When did you know you were done with musical theater and that you were ready to go into acupuncture? And also, why acupuncture? <laughs> I, I mean, where did that, that come from, that healing part of you? Okay, so I said I wasn't from a background. It's interesting because I wasn't from theater background, right? I didn't grow up with theater. I didn't grow up with music in my, you know, my mom and dad's idea of music was listening to Dean Martin on the hi-fi, you know. So where I developed this love, I'm not exactly sure this love of performance. But as a kid, four or five years old, if you asked me what I was going to do, I would have told you I was going to be a doctor. Really? And if you said, well, why, why do you want to be a doctor? I'd say, because I want to make people feel better. Because we had this woman who worked for my family, and she was a dear, dear friend to me as a, as a four, five, six-year-old. She took care of me after school until my mom and dad got home from work. And her name was Gertrude, and she, I had heard she had a bad back. I kept hearing, you know, yo, my bad back, my back's acting up. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to be a doctor so I can make her feel better. So early in my life, this impulse to help was born. This impulse to want to make people feel better was born. Where does that come from? I don't know. Mm -mm. I don't know. Um, I also had a very uh, formative person, my aunt, my mom's sister, who lived in a small town in North Carolina. You know, both my parents were from North Carolina. And um, I used to spend summers with her. And she had a condition called scleroderma. 
which is this really terrifying. It's related to lupus. It's a collagen disorder of the skin, okay. of the collagen tissue in the body, and it basically causes the skin to harden. Scleroderma means hard skin. And it causes... So I was aware from a young age that something wasn't right. Her hands were very... Uh, not deformed, deformed. They were like claws, like she couldn't open them past a certain point. Very hard skin on, on all of her hands. She was always rubbing lotion on them and massaging mm. them. And I remember as a kid going, you know, they kind of hurt. Like if she would grab you, ow, your fingers are so hard. <laughs> Terrible things that children say. And, um, <laughs> but I was also like as a seven, eight, nine year old, I remember her asking me to like rub her feet and would you, would you scratch my head? Would you massage my shoulders? Oh, you have such good hands. That feels so good. You know, so there was a lot of encouragement for me to participate in that way. Mm. And then during Crazy For You, you know, this is, these are some connections. They're a little obtuse, but follow me. Um, during Crazy For You, I remember uh, I was having some problems with a foot that we, uh, from those hussar boots we had to wear, and I got rhythm, and I developed like this sort of tendonitis on the bottom of my foot, or so I thought. And so uh, I ended up going to, to being recommended to see this deep tissue massage gal. And I saw her for like most of the two years that we were in Crazy For You. And she was the beginning of me understanding like fascial release and really opening up the compartments of the body and how fascia kind of moves through in these myofascial chains. and. Things in the calf can affect things in the foot, or things in the hip can affect things ah. in the shoulder. And I began to make these connections just experientially, like lying on a table, lying on her table. So, in the back of my mind, all the time. Now I have to. There's a confession here uh -oh. that as I'm doing these Broadway shows, I'm loving the performance, the idea of performing. I'm not loving the schedule. Okay. And I'm having this sort of scary insight that I don't know that I want to do eight shows a week forever. I don't know that I love the repetition. I find it dulling. Like it felt like it would dull my senses. Like I would get, you know, kind of like I can't, I just was here a minute ago doing this very same thing. <laughs> right foot beat seven and a half on the stage number two, you know, yes. that kind of repetition started making me feel really like, I don't know, I don't know if I can just keep doing this. So, and that realization, unfortunately, began in my first Broadway show during Crazy For You. The first year was thrilling and exciting. Well, I'm going to cut this part out so people don't know that you said that. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, don't tell them. Sorry, young people. It's fun when you're young. <laughs> I didn't get my first Broadway show until I was 35, so I was already old. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It was um, in the back of my mind. I think there was a periscope up mm. looking over the fence going, while I'm tapping right now, could maybe sometime I do something over there? What would that be? I always had, first of all, I have a low threshold of boredom. Let's just tell the truth. I, that's why I think I would be four acts, not three. Oh, yeah. I need to explore lots of parts of myself. I need to use different parts of myself in lots of different ways. I just feel that. Um, maybe act three and act four will have something to do with the arts again. I don't know. Right. I don't know. I'm not trying to plan it. I just 
know that there's a part of my psyche that's always looking while I'm doing this, wonder what else is out there. You know, I started, so while I'm exploring these ideas, there, were, there was a period of time of painting on silk. I handmade rugs for a while. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I know you like taught acting for a while. I taught, at, oh, that was the greatest teacher ever. And there was a period of time where I thought this might be the thing. But then the idea of a lot of my friends were transitioning into either choreography or directing or wanting to do something else in the arts, right? I found myself going, teaching? Oh, it's that, that brain, that part of my brain that was going, those who can't do teach. Yes. Which we know is a fallacy. Yes. Amazing people teach. Mm-hmm. Amazing people teach. Sandy Sharon changed my life at her acting studio. And she's the one who gave me the opportunity to teach. Mm. And I did for several years, even in between shows or in between times when I'd be traveling with rhythm teams, I'd come home and teach. And that really taught me the gratitude for what teachers do. Because as a teacher, you're trying so hard to impart something of your experience to people trying to give that if you could just like download it from your experience save them the trouble yes it's what you're trying to do and it's it's you know of course everybody has to have their own journey right but i really i love i love teaching and i love teaching now and you know i find that i still want to educate people i still want act three to be about this even now, like in, in my acupuncture practice, you know, the same problems show up, the same issues, the low back, the knee, the neck, the shoulder, the, you know, the, the vulnerable joints in our body take a hit. And what I'm looking to learn how to educate people about and what I'm training myself to do is sort of teach people about not only what symptoms are and what's causing the symptom, but why so that we can learn to strengthen ourselves really intrinsically. And I'm telling you, if young people want to last in this business, you have to, you really have to look at your body as the machine that you are requiring it to be. Not only the shoulder and the knee and the butt and the neck and the ankles, but the nervous system, your adrenals, which have to pump out extra adrenaline late at night you know that 11 o'clock number that big tap number at 10:45. yes which is requiring you to sort of dig deep well you're not just digging deep in your will you're digging deep in your biochemistry and making your body do things that as the sun rises and sets it's not meant to do right it's very so cool. we, we we're kind of pushing rocks up a hill as performers and so what i've done is i've over these last few years with my acupuncture practice and, and wanting to help people understand and, and educate them about these issues that they can't expect to see and why the physicality is connected to these issues. I've been doing a lot of uh, training in the, the world of functional medicine. Functional medicine is kind of like the antidote to how the system of Western medicine has gotten sort of categorized. Like, oh, you have a heart issue, go to the heart doctor. Oh, you have a shoulder issue, go to the orthopedist. Oh, you have a eye issue, you will you go to the ophthalmologist. Oh, you have a kidney issue, we'll go to the nephrologist. Everything is disparate. Everything is like, yeah. you are a nothing but a bunch of parts. But we're all one. You part. are a global, you are a universe within yourself. Chinese medicine is, in its poetry, is so beautiful because it calls humanity the 
that which is existing between heaven and earth. We are the connection between heaven and earth where these elements unite. So you are a universe unto yourself. It's a global system and it's all connected. So when you're tapping out your adrenals late at night and then like, what do we want to do when all that adrenaline is pumping after a show? Let's go out and have a drink. Yeah. Come on, let's go. I want to, I'm hungry. Let's go get some chicken wings and a couple beers. And then you're sort of taxing your liver and your digestive system at the very time it's supposed to be rhythmically moving into rest, digest, recuperate. So we're really fighting our system. We're fighting the natural propensities of our body. So this, this, uh, the idea of functional medicine is to teach us all and to teach practitioners how to communicate the, this information to people in a way that's meaningful. To teach you how to treat your body as one connected global system that if you're letting your blood sugar spike and drop and spike and drop that's affecting your adrenals which is affecting your performance late at night well you, see this is fascinating i would have, have no idea you know yeah i mean taking having a red bull at half hour isn't does isn't what you should do it might get you through <laughs> for that uh, week it's a, but cu- not it's that a cup of courage years. but yeah. it's not a long-term plan yeah. it's not and in fact you know the 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 problem for actors is that we're always looking for the quick fix yes we always need the quick just get me to here just get me to there just get me through the audition i i, I certainly did a chocolate chip cookie was as good as getting me through act two as anything yeah but the long-term effects of that are not what you want to be living with because they don't last and you crash at some point you know when, one of the first things you learn in functional medicine is about adrenal function and dysfunction and how it's really connected to the brain and the gut. And adrenal is what, what the adrenaline is? Stress or, you know, it's fight or flight. You know, it's what we need to push us through. It's passion, it's energy, yes. it's momentum. And it is adrenaline, which we use in performance. But it's also ancestrally, like where we come from, it's also the thing that was meant to get us away from the saber-toothed tiger which would happen very quickly or you died right yeah (laughs) you either made it away or you didn't and in 20 minutes you were back up your tree in the cave under a rock somewhere passing out recuperating right and if you managed to win and kill the saber-toothed tiger you had a big meal and then you went into the other part of your nervous system which is the rest and digest the recuperative restorative phase and that's that's also how the rhythm of nature works you know the sun rises we rise with it our um, cortisol is highest supposedly early in the day as the sun comes up I'm gonna have to get a dictionary tonight and look up all these words (laughs) (laughs) I can't help but I get so science geeky about this stuff I'm so book trained now. I know. I know. But I... The thing that I love about you mostly is that you're not just an acupuncturist. You are a healer and you actually have a gift. And I, and I know because I'm a patient of yours, mm-hmm. but everyone talks about that. And then so, and everyone, I mean, you, it takes four months to book an appointment with you. <laughs> but it's that, No, it doesn't. Call okay, us. Two months. Um, <laughs> but uh, and he has lots of other people that work here. But it's. I mean, it was one thing for you to say, I want to go into acupuncture, but how yeah. did you know that this, yeah. that this, this hidden gift or this thing existed in you? I didn't. You didn't. How do we know that a gift exists us, in us as a performer? 
Right. Somebody said. But you knew when you saw on. the Man in Rhythm Kings that you had that and you wanted to jump up on that piano and tap. Yeah, but I didn't know that when I was 16 and sang my first song mm. in front of an audience. Right. And then people were like, oh, you have such a gift. I was like, oh, I do? You have presence. I do? What's that mean? Oh, okay. You have career. You're very charismatic. What does that mean? You know, it was all. We don't know any, you know, what is the, what are those four stages? Have you ever heard this? Like you're unconsciously unconscious, un, unconscious. It's like this, the, the levels of learning, like where you don't know that you don't know. Oh yes. And then you know that you don't know. And then you know that you know, <laughs> maybe there's yeah, one more, yeah. you know what I mean though. There's, and then you know you can't do it anymore. You, then you know you have to get out. <laughs> That's four. That's four. <laughs> but I think you know, a third act. acupuncture. Also, yes. But a third act for you also just seems like. I mean, educating people. I want. On I how wanted to. Do, to I want to reach themselves. larger groups of people. Like you say, my I. I'm limited in my physical ability to treat people. Like mm. I can, if I treat 14 or 16 people in a day, I'm. That's it. I'm done. Yeah, I'm what? cooked. I can't do anymore. And so, there has to be a way to sit with a group of people. Whether that's maybe you know part of my new office space. You know, I have this conference table in the back, and I'm thinking of how to educate small groups of people at a time or um, you know uh, creating like I'm working on actually like an online piece where I, I can just offer lots of like sort of packets of information for people to sort of get for free so that they understand um, I'm actually in the midst of creating my 365 days of wellness so the little steps that you can do every single day that will sort of educate you not only about what to do but why you're doing it. I think for the performer, that's so important because we're not, we don't really think about our body as an instrument in that way. We think about it as an instrument to, to kick to our face, to sing a high note, <laughs> yeah, but we yeah. don't realize that there's so much more to do that. And when you're young, in your 20s, you don't have to think about it. But in your 30s and 40s, you wish you would have thought about it in your 20s. What, and when you're nearly 60, you really wish you had thought about it in your 30s and 40s and 50s. So it, it doesn't stop. This, this, you know, life is a terminal thing. We're not here forever. And things will change. Your job, our job as human beings um, is, I really feel like if I were gonna, if I were gonna really speak to folks coming up in the industry and, you know, what I would really say to you, like, it's not necessarily about acupuncture for you. It's not necessarily about, you know, your adrenals. I don't know what it'll be about for you, but there will be something. There will be something that will begin to wane because nothing is forever. No. So something will show up that begins to reveal deficiency in your system. So what I want to urge people to do is be proactive in the preventive side of things. And by preventive, I mean like it's much easier to handle a disease ahead of time meaning a disease that hasn't manifested yet because it's really just in the energetic body so far mm. it hasn't shown up in the physical body as symptoms but I can also tell you that every symptom that you have is a sign that something else is occurring underneath every and that's a bold statement it is every symptom your headaches your dry eyes your indigestion your aches and pains they're all symptoms of something starting to happen and I'd say to people, the minute, and I don't want to make people into hypochondriacs. That's, don't run to your doctor and say, I have a pain, give me an anti-inflammatory. I have indigestion, give me a reflux medicine. 
Give me, no, it's not about the symptoms. What it is is your body's just looking for a way to communicate to you in the only language it has. And that's what I wish young people, and I, maybe it's inappropriate for people too young to worry about. I don't know. No, I think that but it's of all you, ages. It's well, think of, but think about it. Athletes, college athletes who are on scholarship to their colleges, there's so much money in athletics. Those kids are taken care of like they are gold. Mm-hmm. They're given massages and PT and strengthening programs and nutritional programs. Actors or not, did your college give you strengthening programs? No, get a, do another dance class. Yep. You need, I, I think some of them are, you know, some of the performing arts schools are starting to get it. Yes. But you need cohesive tr- treatment. You yeah. need, and that's why I really started moving into the functional medicine world because it's about getting to root of things, not symptoms. I care about your symptoms. I want the pain to go away, but I want to get to it by what's causing it, hmm. not by putting a fire out. You know, if you, um, you know, if I if I put the flame out, is there still heat there? Yes, there is. Hmm. So it'll just come back to life if the root, the reason the flame is there, isn't treated. So I can suppress your reflux. That's not going to heal your system. And it seems like the theater community flocks to you. A lot of your clientele are, I mean, I've seen like, I've had little cast reunions in your lobby. Yeah, I'm like, true. hi. You I know, know, so is, I mean, because there's also something about you saying, oh, I know what an HO a week takes like, yes. so I know how to do this. So yes. do you find that your practice is mostly theater people? A lot, a lot, for sure. And it's what I aimed for when I came out. I, uh, I did this interview years ago with Jane Pauly when I was early in my career and it was her look at you Jane Polly <laughs> you're in very good company yes um, she was a delight actually and she she her, she was doing this um, program called your life calling for AARP and since I was older than 50 when I made my transition she you know we were it was that kind of a what happened in your midlife that made you want to change and I'm also chapter 13 of her book oh. your life calling but she she asked me like did you, was it hard to leave the theater? And I said, I haven't left. Mm-mm. I'm still in the tribe. The thing is, is back then I was a warrior on the front lines and now I'm the medicine man. Yes, so, which I think is great. And I, I feel that way. I feel like I'm here to help still continue to support the community. And um, that's why this is this other piece. You know, I get frustrated when I can't treat everybody and I can't see everybody and I have to, Go, no, self-care is important too. Mm-hmm. I have to take care of my system or otherwise I'm just burning out. And so then I'm looking at these other ways um, to, to help people over the long haul, educate themselves, learn how to become your own, not doctor, that's not fair, but learn to listen to the signals that are happening and let me help you translate them. So that's where my, the, the material that I'm designing now is kind of aimed. Well, I love it. Yeah. Well, before we interview this, uh, end the interview, I want to ask you a question about your, uh, the way you think, because I love, oh God, I love the way you think. <laughs> I mean, we talked about the Bell's palsy, and I know we've shared some loss in life yes. that is similar. And you have a way of saying, what? How is this a gift? Or what is? What am I going to learn from that? And sometimes I think, you know, sometimes bad stuff is happens, and that's it. It's just bad. But you really look at life, and you know, what I mean, as a, a bigger picture. And where is this going to lead me? And how do you do that? I mean, because sometimes it's you have a death, and sometimes you don't get a job, and and I, it can wreck me. Like 
the same and this yeah, should be the same yeah. but you always look at it like this is a teaching opportunity how do you <laughs> you make me sound so wise it's well, you not are, so easy you are when maybe when i leave the room you're just like <laughs> yeah. it's terrible but when ah, you, you talk for me, that one didn't he <laughs> well when you talk you do it well i do mean to that you know maybe some of it's just good ideas right mm -hmm. i believe okay years ago i did est and i continue that work in what's called landmark education now but the work of est and landmark education is really helping people understand that we're telling stories all the time we're creating as with our language we're always saying ourselves we tell people who we are we tell ourselves who we are so this one's hard for me you know i lost my sister just as you did yes this was an irreconcilable loss to me. It was a tragic thing. It happened right in front of me. I can't, I will never ever be able to say, well, this was an opportunity to learn. It was just life handing me a pile of stuff to work through, including surrender, acceptance, um, leaning back. You know, I remember when she died, I remember saying to David, my partner, I feel like we're being punished. Why is this happening? And he said, it's not, <laughs> you know, fortunately my, my husband is a, is a clergyman, so he can at times find a broader perspective. Mm. But he said, it's, I know it feels personal. It's not. We don't, I, I can't tell you why this is happening, but um, over the years since she passed, I, first of all, I find her showing herself to me a lot. So I guess in a weird way, it's opened me up to wanting to see beyond the veil. Uh, she's been very, very present a few times, like sort of oddly present. No, I don't see ghosts, <laughs> but some experiences out in nature I'll just say that have been like what was that and um, I always feel her presence and um, then of course I tune into the Long Island medium to oh. help me <laughs> figure it out um, I should check that out she, she, I love her um, but it's um, I guess I feel like our work as human beings is always the only power we ever have is in the mind working with our thoughts about things because that's where the story happens right mm. we experience stuff our nervous system starts processing you know our brain kind of if it's tra traumatic you know the brain kind of sought packs things down a little bit and unfolds things a little bit at the time there are neurological things that happen under trauma ptsd right yes your nervous system puts things on hold for a while so that it can come back later and you can figure it out when you're not under trauma anymore so our I feel with the help of an a extraordinary therapist, Lair Torrent, who one of my dear gypsy friends, Lisa Gaida, turned me on to when she, you know, when she knew that my sister had passed. Mm -hmm. She was like, if you don't have somebody, here's your guy. And he has been my guy for four years now. Um, he's really helped me see that the work to be done is understanding the different aspects, the different voices, the committee in my head that wants to tell different stories about things. Nobody when you're 20 or 30 or 40 wants to know this, 
or even 50. No. You don't want to know this. But the only power that we have is how we tell ourselves our life story, how we feed our own mythology. Are you going to tell the story about something terrible happened to me and it's terrible and I hate it and I don't care? Pardon my French, fuck life. Mm -hmm. Or do you want to say, I surrender, I'm not in control, I don't know why this happened. I may never know why this happened, but what I know from this is that life can end at any moment. And so my choice is to be as bold and fully expressed and authentic as I can be. Because otherwise, I'm wasting what she would have loved to continue. Yep, absolutely. Well, that's so a beautiful way to look at it. It's all we've got, right? Yep, how we tell we the story and how we direct ourselves to tell the story. And that's, that's hard. That's hard. Some days it doesn't work so well. No, and some it days, is in the mind. Some days the, the teenager in the back seats, you know, flipping smoking it, cigarettes flipping and drinking, the world off. drinking Ripple and, you know, saying, shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. But that's, our mind has can control our heart because if it was up to my heart it would be broken for the rest of my life right and the wound is there the mm -hmm. struggle is real but you're yes the mind is where i think it really all begins and and if i may one more plug for the body the biochemistry when we're not healthy when we're not strong when we're not really resilient the mind follows that so things will be more of a struggle mentally emotionally spiritually when the body this is the machine that's holding it yeah the brain is your operating system if that if there is um inflammation lack of nourishment lack of rest lack of, of recovery you your emotions and your spirit will follow so it's all one system well i i completely agree so we're going to end this with two real quick things at the top of your head. Go. What's your favorite performing career memory? A highlight. A highlight. Opening night of Crazy For You. Uh, all right. First Broadway show. Well, that doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, it doesn't. And your favorite act two memory of being a healing acupuncturist. The time somebody, this is so random, this guy came into the office. He was leaning over sideways, couldn't stand up straight, was terrified of needles. That's a bad combination in an acupuncture office. He walked out standing up going, I'll be back. That is great. Well, Transformation. Well, I know I'll be back as for <laughs> acupuncturist, but also just, I mean, you, when you walk into these rooms, you get so much history of you as a performer, you as a man, and you as a mm -hmm. healer. And so I, I love coming here just to share this. So it's an honor that you share so much in this, mm -hmm. in this podcast. And um, I'm going to figure out ways to get your act three of sharing this information. Because I wish I knew right. all this 20 years it's ago. Common. I know, I know, me too. This, uh, what I'm sharing is exactly what I want. I wish somebody had been writing me notes every day, like do this today, just this today. Yeah. Just change this one thing today. Don't worry about the big picture yet. 365 days later, some of those things may have taken hold and we're on to the whole next, then you're up to Health 102. And what is the 365 days of health that you're doing? You're creating I, I, this? I'm creating a, basically it'll be a, 
You you know Notes from the Universe by Mike Dooley? No. Well, you need to check that out because those are like sort of spiritual notes for your mind every day, how the universe has your back. Tut.com. T-U-T.com. Check it out and get on their Notes from the Universe email list. It's, it's extraordinary. I will. There's that. And he has inspired me to write 365 Days of Wellness so that after a year of getting my emails, you'll understand what to do and why you're doing it. And can you get on the email list from healingperspectives.com? You will soon be able to do that. It's, it, it's in creation. I'm That's literally great. creating this course right now. Great. And you take Cigna. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Hello, actors. I yes. take Cigna. Yes. yes. Well, thank you very much. I'd like to end these podcasts with uh, a favorite song from... I used to be people's career, but now people are picking from their lives, which I think is great. So what would it be? Ooh. Um, I think when you say that to me, the first thing that comes to my head is I hear Tommy Toon singing, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. That is great. How's that? That's great, and I look forward to your act four. <laughs> Thank you very much, this is awesome. Thanks, Brad. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. It's not how you go, it's how you land. A hundred to one shot, you call him a klutz. Can outrun the favorite, all he needs is the guts. Your final return will not diminish. And you can be the cream of the crop. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. And you're gonna finish on top. It's not where you start, it's where, it's you, not where you start, it's where you it's finish. It's not how you go. It's not how you go, it's how you land. <laughs> Your final return will not be mine. And you can be the cream of the crop It's not where you start, it's where you finish And you're gonna finish on top If you start at the top, you're certain to drop You've got to watch your timing Better begin by climbing Up, up, up the ladder If you're going to last you can't make it fast, man. Nobody starts a winner. Give me a slow beginner. Easy does it, my friend. Conserve your mind endurance. Easy does it, my friend. For that's your life insurance. When you are gone. Take it rug after 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 rug.
we've got to do a bigger finish! <laughs>